going to uh, pick up with what we were doing uh, last week. We cut it short. We were out of time. Uh, so I want to continue to, um, to look at a few passages to help us um, to see how we can, find, uh, we can find help in determining the meaning of a passage based upon the repetition that we see of words. So as we're trying to determine meaning in the Bible... Uh, This is a very effective way. Now, I'm going to give you, uh, over the course of the next few weeks, I'm going to give you some uh, some ways that we can find uh, find the meaning even um, even more um, in a in a more uh, succinct way. I guess we've already kind of gone through some really broad categories as we read through the Bible as a whole. Uh, So now we're going to narrow down a little bit. We're looking um, at specifics in sentences now. So we'll go from sentences, and then we'll move into paragraphs, and then entire sections. But uh, we're going to—we have several steps as we look through sentences. Uh, so the first, as we started last week, is to look at the repetition of words, looking at words that repeat in a passage. Um, so it's important that as we go through a passage, we note any words that repeat within the sentence that we are studying, and we tried to do that a little bit last week. Um, And then we'll look at the sentences around whatever specific text it is that we are reading to get a fuller grasp of that meaning to see if those words continue on. So um, if you take that sheet that says things to look for in sentences, number one, repetition of words. Um, I've printed on there 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, let's take some time, go through there, and um, indicate, highlight, underline, circle, whatever you are going to do, uh, the words that you see repeated multiple times, and then uh, the next line down, what are the words that are most often repeated? Write those down there. All right, which, which word repeats in the first sentence? Love and world, right? We see those over and over through this passage. Okay. Um, here's some questions to ask of, uh, of this passage. Uh, does this word, world, does it appear in the next sentence as well? How, we see it all throughout this, right? I took out the verse numbers, and sorry, that's probably not helpful right now. Um, is it in every sentence? Let's just think sentences. Yes, it's, it's through every sentence. Um, does it always have the definite article, the, as in the world? Are there any instances where it does not say the world? Okay. Um, we saw love as well. How many, uh, how many times does love occur in this passage? Several times. What is it? Three times. Okay. Um, so if we just take those two words that we've seen repeated multiple times, uh, what kind of meaning can we draw from this passage probably? What is the writer going to be addressing? Okay, love of the world, right? Now, obviously, we don't want to draw our theological conclusions by just studying 
repeated words, but if we understand some biblical concepts and some themes throughout the Bible, uh, the Bible regularly speaks of a love of the world. And uh, so we see that coming out here. Um, so as we, uh, as we walk through this, some of these passages are going to be easier than others, obviously. Some repeat words over and over and over, sometimes maybe two or three times, but there's multiple words that do that. Um, but this is a very helpful device as we are uh, trying to study through um, certain passages. So let's uh, let's try the let's try the next one. Second Corinthians one, uh, three through seven. See what we come up with. All right. So what do we see uh, in this passage? What words do we see repeated? Okay. Exactly. There's a lot. There's a lot of repetition about. God, God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, whatever. We see that over and over through this passage. Seven times, you said? Okay, what else? You, yeah. Okay, grace, you, and one instance of either God the Father or the Lord Jesus Christ over and over. Um, so if we just take those words, what do we, what can we think, think in biblical categories, what can we derive from the meaning here? Okay, grace coming to us from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That is a very helpful device just to draw out some meaning. Obviously, this is very basic, and we'll get into some things a little more difficult, but this is, this is uh, hermeneutics 101. This is Bible study 101. Um, this is how we figure out what a passage means. We never get beyond this. Just today, I was sitting down... Uh, studying passage for my sermon on Sunday, and this is what the kind of stuff that I'm doing every week. So I was looking at repetition of words in the first passage of our next book. So um, so we can draw some kind of meaning as we look at the repetition of words. Now, obviously, again, we don't want to hang our hat on that and say that's absolutely what it means, but it is very helpful to, um, to start to help us draw some conclusions. Um, now let's look. Uh, let's look now at contrasts. And we talked about this a little bit as we talked about proverbs a couple of weeks ago, um, and the idea of uh, parallelism. Um, there's a lot of uh, contrast there, but we also see contrasts in other uh, sections of Scripture. So we'll start with some proverbs, uh, but then we're going to look at a New Testament passage as well. Uh, so, let's look at this together. Proverbs 14.31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So, what is being contrasted in this passage? Okay. Okay. So, we have, uh, we have two types of people being presented here, right? One is an oppressor and one is generous. In other words, the, uh, the comparison is between how they treat the poor and in the way that their behavior toward the poor reflects their attitude toward God. Okay, you see that in the contrast that's made? 
You you oppress a poor man, you insult his maker. You're generous to the poor man, the needy. Uh, You honor who? His maker. So you honor God by uh, being generous to the poor. You insult God by oppressing the poor. So we see the two things being contrasted. We see what is being reflected as that happens. Let's look at Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So what, uh, what's going on here? What's being contrasted? Jeannie? Okay. So words in general, certain types of words, harsh words and um, soft words. Okay, now what is, uh, what's the other element being contrasted here? Uh, it, it comes to, uh, they both come to the same point, right? A soft word does something, a harsh word does something, um, and it's all related to what? Anger, right? One turns away anger and one stirs it up. Okay, good. Proverbs are very easy to see this. Now let's look at 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so what is being contrasted in this passage? Okay, light and darkness. Now, that's easy. Let's break it down even more, though. Can we uh, be more specific about the nature of what's being contrasted? Um, In other words... Are there details given in this passage about uh, that contrast? Jeannie? Say that again? Okay, so that, that falls into those same categories, the light, truth, darkness, lies. Okay, good. One of them is our manner of walking. In, our, in the light versus the darkness. So that's, that's one of the ways that we narrow um, this contrast. There's another one, though. What is it? Did you? Okay, our fellowship with others, our fellowship with God. Is that? Say again. Yeah, fellowship with God, our, um, our relationship to God, how we relate to God is, um, is indicated by whether or not we're in the light or darkness. What's another way that it talks about light and darkness in this passage? Say again. Truth and lies, we got that one. Okay, good. The nature of God. The nature of God. He is light and not darkness. So the two ways we can really narrow this down even more are, first, to see the nature of God presented in what John is writing. And also to see that our manner of walking, our manner of fellowship with God is determined by whether or not we are in the light versus the darkness. And so while he's using these two words to describe something, if we're not careful and we don't take the time, we're not going to see the full 
depth of the meaning that could be drawn out from this. There's more than just uh, truth and lies. That's part of it. Uh, but we need, to, we need to plumb the depths a little bit more and see that. So we can be very specific about what's being compared, uh, well, contrasted. Um, I don't want to jump. I don't want to jump into comparisons until next week. That'll be our. That'll be our next focus. But we'll see those things as well. So, go to uh, Romans twelve one and two. I gave you a printout there. Uh, we're going to try and put these things together now. So, uh, you can, whoever you're sitting with, work with them a little bit. Um, Draw out as many of these things as we can. Draw out the repetition of words. Derive some meaning from that. Also draw out any, um, any contrast that is made. Uh, what, what, kind of, uh, what kind of conclusions can we draw from there? So, uh, so work through that for a couple minutes. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about this. What do, we, what do we have? What words do we see repeated? Okay, God, we see several times. What else? Acceptable. Okay, anything else? Nope. What's that? You? Yeah. Okay, now what, what's being contrasted in this passage? What is the contrast here? What is being contrasted? Okay, good. Being conformed to the world versus being transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we have, uh, we have God, acceptable, you, and your, yep, you, your. Good, exactly. So we see, uh, as we just talked about a minute ago, we can break this down even further that there are specific, um, there are specific ideas related to God himself. Uh, wh- what, is being, what is being said more broadly about uh, this, or I guess more specifically about this in terms of how God, um, how God views this? So, um, good. Mercies of God. Um, uh, where's the next one? The will of God and acceptable to God, right? <coughs> okay, so we take all of these and we can see from this that Paul is telling us something about being conformed to the world versus being transformed by the renewal of our mind. Um, now, something, uh, we'll take this a few steps further, something else we can look at. Um, He's talking about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. But a little bit later, he talks about how we do that with our bodies. What does he say? What's that? What part of our body does he reference later? Our mind. So presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is tied to the renewal of our mind. I can present my body to God as living sacrifice when, my, when I am renewing my mind. So those two things are very intricately woven. Now, what can I do with my mind? He tells us a little bit later. What, what can I now do that my mind has been renewed? 
discern and test, right? I can test something, and by testing it, I can discern the will of God. So, you see very quickly, as we pull out these words, as we pull out these contrasts, it's a whole lot easier to come to a conclusion in the passage, right? So, just from what we've discussed here in the last two, three minutes, two verses of Scripture, someone give us a summary of what Paul is saying here. That's okay. It's all right to be wrong. Okay. Okay, so that's, that is the, the sort of the thesis statement of what Paul is saying here, that he is, he's drawing out this renewing that how, how do we do this? Um, by, looking to, uh, uh, by looking to our minds being transformed instead of to what the world offers us to be conformed to. So just as we saw in the passage in 1 John, this contrast of light and darkness, walking with the walking in the world, walking with God, uh, the the comparison or the contrast that was made there, very much the same we have made here. If our minds are renewed, then something is going to happen that is in accordance with the will of God. We'll be able to test and discern, and it will be good and acceptable and perfect. Whatever it is that we're able to discern uh, by the will of God. Versus being conformed to the world. So what principles then can we draw from this passage? We're going to take it a few steps further. We'll look at, as we go through various passages, we'll, we'll step out and then we'll come back and add more to it. But what principles can we draw from these two verses now that we have this uh, working uh, understanding of what we're talking about? If you're going to preach these two verses, what what are some uh, application points that you would draw out? Okay, good. So <clears throat> we need to see our minds transformed, that we not be conformed. Now, how how do we do that? Here's here's the driving thing we need to ask of all of Scripture. Okay, Paul, got it. How? How do I do that? How do I get to where I'm not conformed to the world, but my mind is being transformed? Um, this is not on the page. This is we understand this because we're Christians and we know more of the Bible than these two verses. So how do we do this? How do we not be conformed to the world, but see our minds transformed? Okay, good. God's given us the word, so we need to be in the word. Uh, the word is transforming our minds, right? Faith comes by. Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Right. So if this is the means God has given us to transform our, uh, tr- to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, and if the only means to be able to discern what the will of God is, is that my mind is transformed, that kind of tells me something about what I need to be doing, right? I need to be in the Word of God. <laughs> I need to be studying it on my own. I need to be listening to sermons. I need to be studying the Bible with others. I need to be immersed in scriptures. And if I'm not, my mind will not be transformed. And therefore, I will not be able to test and discern the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Okay? That's, uh, that's a, a short summary of how I would go about preaching that one application point. What else do you see here? Okay. Good. Excellent. So um, 
Paul is, is telling us in one sense, um, you can understand the Bible. <laughs> Over and against, uh, this, was, this was the big battle in the Reformation. What was the Roman Catholic Church telling everybody uh, about their ability to understand Scripture? They said they couldn't. What did they need? Yeah, they needed, yeah, they needed a priest to stand up and say, this is what the Bible means. Um, there is a strong implication here of you can do this. <laughs> you can understand this. You can know this. And by doing that, you're able to discern the will of God not because I'm telling you what it is, but because your mind is being renewed. And so as I am walking through life, I am assessing the circumstances and whatever I am encountering, I am able to determine the will of God. That by, uh, that by testing, um, testing a situation, testing circumstances, testing... Um, uh, Basically, I'm taking something and I'm comparing it to the Word of God. Again, it all comes back to this. How can I test something against the Word of God if I don't know the Word of God? If someone tells me something and say, oh, that sounds good. Um, sure, it sound, uh, God helps those who help themselves. Oh, that sounds good. Well, if I know the Word of God, I realize that's not, that's not Bible at all. In fact, that's contrary to the gospel. That's not what the gospel teaches us, is it? Uh, so I can test that phrase against the scriptures because I know that phrase doesn't exist in the scriptures and it's completely contrary to the nature of the gospel and Christ um, himself. So, right, there's nothing. It's, it's useless. This is a great book, but it's only useful if you read it and know it, okay? If it sits on our shelves and collects dust you might as well throw it in the trash. It's not worth anything to you if you're not using it. Um, so that, that is a strong emphasis here. That's a major point of application uh, from these two verses. What else do you see here? We've drawn out our need for the Word of God, our need to test things against the Word of God, our ability to do that because our minds are renewed, are renewed because we know the Word of God. What else do you see here? Okay. There is, um, there is an appeal here by Paul, and that is that we present our bodies as a sacrifice to God, a sacrifice of Worship. So let's drill into that a little bit more. What does that mean? What does it mean to present your bodies as a living sacrifice? Okay, good. A submission to the Word of God. Are we seeing a theme here? <laughs> a submission to the Word of God. How do I present my body as a living sacrifice? That when God commands something of me, that I submit myself to Him. Yes. What's that? Yeah, absolutely. At literally sacrificing himself as a spiritual act of worship. I will not bow to uh, a false prophet. I will not reject Christ. Therefore, I'm giving my body as a spiritual sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing unto God. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Body, mind, obedience. Um, sure. 
Sure. Good. Steve said the the contrast there being, are you submitting to the will of the world? Are you submitting to the will of God? And how how do we determine how that is done, how that is accomplished? We do that through our recognizing what the Word of God is and the renewing of our minds through that. Good. What else? Anything else we see here? Did you did you ever think you'd be able to sit here and draw all that out of two verses? It's not too difficult. I hope I hope that we um, start to do this more and more. Um, I challenged you last week um, to take some of these things and apply them in your scripture reading over the week. I hope some of you did. Um, if I won't I won't call on anybody, but if you have anything about that you want to to share, then. Uh, Please do. Um, let's let's look at it. Let's try another one. Let's look at another passage. We're going to keep coming back to Romans twelve one and two. Okay, so you can hold on to that. We're going to draw more and more and more conclusions uh, from this passage. Okay, let's go to uh, Philippians chapter one. Okay, I intentionally didn't think through this one at all before we got here, so we'll all do this together. Okay, we're going to do Philippians 1. We're going to look at um, verses 19 through 26. Actually, 18c, (laughs) starting with yes, and I will rejoice. Philippians 1, we'll start there at the end of 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me, yet which I cannot choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So... We have a few more verses here. And what I'm hoping, as we look at this one, you can kind of see how you you can do this without having to sit down and print it out and get it on a sheet of paper. But as you're reading your Bibles, you can start to think through these things. As you're reading, hopefully you're reading slowly and trying to think through what is being said here. So, um, just looking at this passage here, what words of repetition do we see? We'll think words of repetition and then ideas of repetition. What do, what do we see? Okay, I, Christ, Sagan, flesh, okay, what else? Live, right? Mm-hmm. I think that does it, does it? Okay. So I, Christ, live, flesh, 
what kind of what kind of ideas are we starting to think about now? Okay, good. So there's something about uh, living for Christ. Obviously, we we have a broader picture of the Bible, so we know it's going to call us not to live according to the flesh, but living for the spirit uh, for for Christ. Okay, so. We kind of have those categories. Now we need to see a little bit more if that's what this passage is, is talking about. So um, what do we, is, there any, uh, is there any contrast in this passage? Okay, living and dying, right? Anything else? Okay, good. Shame and courage. Anything else? Okay, so a departing and remaining. It goes with living and dying. Anything else? It's pretty good. Okay, so we have uh, being ashamed versus being um, courageous, living and dying, departing, remaining. We've talked about... um, I, the Apostle Paul writing, I, Christ, flesh. So what, what kind of conclusions can we start to draw from this? These are obviously very important concepts to Paul because these are, these are what stand out to us because they're very evident in what he's writing. So what, what kind of things can we start to derive from that? This is where we get to drawing out some principles. Okay, what, no, I, no, that's fine, that's good. What is he saying about life and death in relationship to Christ? Think of these contrasting things. Okay, good. So, while he's contrasting these things, life and death, he's coming to the conclusion that no matter what it is, is good, right? To live is Christ great. And what does he say about that? If I, to live is Christ. So if I live, then what? It's, yeah, it's good for the sake of the kingdom. It's good for your sake is what he's saying to uh, the Philippians. I can be more fruitful in my ministry towards you if I live. So wonderful. If I die, and he's saying, I'd rather do that. If I die, what happens? It's still good. I still get Christ. <laughs> Either way, I am in Christ. So living is good. It's fruitful. It advances the kingdom. It brings the gospel where it needs to go. Wonderful. Dying is good. I get to die, and as soon as I die, I'm with Christ. It's far greater than being here is what he says. Okay, what other things do we draw from this? Think towards the beginning of the passage, something I'm seeing here. Okay. Say again. Okay, good. Remember, one of the things that um, Andrew pointed to was the difference between um, not being ashamed or being ashamed and not being ashamed, essentially. 
what what's going on there well how does that come about what is the what is the reason he's able to do that again this is all tied to something what purpose does he uh, what purpose does he give for that i am able to do this why because of as raven pointed out because of your prayers i know that through your prayers and what okay the spirit's help that this will all turn out for my deliverance well Now, here's where we need to pause and say, okay, what is he talking about? This is where we talked about this weeks ago. This is where historical, cultural, literary context come into play, okay? So what is the context of Paul's writing here in the book of Philippians? Where is Paul? Okay, he's in prison. Now, how do we know that? Is it because you've always heard Paul's in prison in the book of Philippians? (laughs) That sounds good. Is it the the paragraph at the top of your page that tells you what this book's about? (laughs) Okay, good. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So, we see it again. That was become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for that. That my imprisonment is for Christ. Okay, so we see these references to Paul being in prison. Now, by looking at that, you see how important it is that we understand a passage that we're looking at in its context. What's going on here? Historically, what's going on? Culturally, what's going on? Uh, Literary, uh, the literary context, what's going on? In order to determine that, we have to read what comes before and oftentimes what comes after. As we get toward the end of the passage, we want to isolate this and say, what do these verses mean? But we can't isolate it away from the rest of what's uh, being said here. That's when we get ourselves in trouble. That's when we begin to proof text and make the Bible say what we want it to say instead of what it actually says. So we have to be careful um, to pay attention to context. So someone give us, um, that was just a short run through this passage. There's much more can be drawn from there. But someone give us a, a, a summary of what Paul is saying through all of this. Okay, <laughs> verse 21, it rings very clear. Good. Okay, good. He's in prison. He's supported by the prayers of the people and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, hey, if I have to hang out here longer, um, I'm, I'm empowered by these things. I have courage as a result of these things. Um, I'm continuing on as a believer, and uh, if I continue to live as a re- after after all of this, then I will have a fruitful ministry among you, and to do so is with Christ, by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, continuing to cause me to persevere, and uh, and that's great. Sure, it's my benefit instead of yours. Great, great point. It's a great point. He has a very, um, very pastoral heart. 
He loves the people very much and wants them to be benefited. He even says that in essence. Um, it would be far greater for me to go, but I know that this will be good for you, and therefore I'm convinced that I'll remain and continue with you. In other words, the Lord, uh, the Lord is going to preserve me through this for your benefit. It's a very pastoral heart toward the people. Um, <clears throat> okay, well, we're out of time. We'll, uh, we'll look some more at some of these passages as we go along. Um, hopefully, this was helpful to you and stirred some ideas for you as you're reading the Bible. It's, it's not a difficult thing. Now, this is where I encourage you to uh, read slowly and methodically and thoughtfully so that you can have your mind transformed. If you're just reading through the Bible to get through your reading plan because I want to read through the Bible in a year, um, that's a good thing to read the Bible in a year. But if you walk away from it every time you read it and say, I don't really know what I just read because I was just reading it to get done with it, then um, it's the equivalent of leaving it on the shelf. It's really not helpful. Um, so we need to read. Uh, I used to tell the students all the time, we read uh, not to finish but to change. We're not reading to finish the Bible. We're reading to be changed by the Bible. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, so hopefully these, um, uh, it's no mistake I use that passage for studying this. These things we're talking about are going to help us be able to do that. So this week as you're reading, look for those keys. What words are being repeated? What ideas are being repeated? What things are being contrasted? Um, and how do those help me derive meaning from whatever passage we're looking at? Love to hear your stories about it and discoveries you make as you read. So please bring those to share with everybody. Yes. Uh-huh. Sure. When, I, when I'm doing my devotional reading, I'll read a paragraph at a time. I'll read a paragraph... And I want to stop and think through some of these things. What is, what's being said in this paragraph? Um, I try, that's how I break it down in paragraphs. Um, and, you know, most of our Bibles, unless you have the uh, New American Standard, uh, your Bibles are going to break it out in paragraph form. New American Standard is line by line. It makes this sort of thing a little more difficult. Um, but I, I do it in paragraph. Once I kind of get the general idea of that paragraph have some principles in mind what's being then i'll move to the next paragraph so um you know it takes a little bit longer but you know maybe that means instead of three chapters today i read two but i walk away with a much better understanding of those two chapters than i would of any of those three um so that's how i do it doesn't it doesn't take as long you know when it's you and your bible and your thinking and I, you know all of this is very we're prayerful through this that the lord is uh, that's what we pray for, that the Holy Spirit would be illumining the Scriptures, that the text would become clear to us and that we would see these things. Um, that's a good thing to pray for. That's not, that's not mystical and, uh, um, you know, anything out of what... That's the job of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, to illumine the text for us that we see and discover these things. So I would just, you know, break it into, break it into smaller chunks. I think paragraphs is a good way to go. Um, and most of your Bibles, too, they have those uninspired headings. Well, those are helpful. They're helpful to kind of uh, target our reading a little bit to what, what's being said there. So, And as we go, as I preach through Luke, 
um, you'll see the sections I'm choosing are kind of based upon that idea. So some of them will be three or four verses, like this Sunday is the first four verses, but you know the next one will be 20 verses or whatever because it's a whole section of thought.